Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't get a laugh the first time. I don't think I'll get a laugh the second time. But I do have the starter kit. I've got the uh, untucked shirt, the white shoes, but not the, the tight jeans. I couldn't do that. So I asked Andrew, and he gave me a lot of help in this. I said, Andrew, how long should I speak? He said, uh, you know, if you'd speak for about 30 minutes, that's a good sermon. He said, but a great sermon ends early. So hopefully you'll be hearing a great sermon from me today. I won't be using any big words, okay? You had Chuck, who's a uh, Gideon, spoke about two weeks ago. You've had Andrew, who always speaks. You've got Jay, who's got a Master's of uh, Divinity that's going to preach next week. Thankfully, I switched with him. So I'll let them use the big words here. I'm not going to use them. And re- any Princess Bride fans here? Okay, so this stands out when I was thinking about this. And my wife will crack up hearing this, and Ed will probably agree too. If you've ever seen the movie, there's this guy who keeps on using this word, inconceivable. And one of the guys, uh, the other character says, you keep using that word, I don't think it means what you think it means. So I run the risk if I use big word, too big of words of you guys going, I don't think that means what you think it means. So I'm going to keep it real simple here. All right, so let's look at this message today. And if you look at the, the title, it's uh, using your Bible as your instrument. And this is, here's my hesitancy in today's message. I'm going to use two illustrations about flying. And I don't want the focus to be on flying. These are just parables or illustrations. It's about the message. The reason why I'm talking about using the Bible as your instrument is not because this is something that I came up with. Not at all. About probably 13 years ago, I used to be a substitute teacher for a pastor, former pastor. He was a pastor, started up a church in Ohio for 37 years. Then he came down to Camden, Carl Witt. He taught, and when he would teach, everybody shut up because they wanted to hear him speak. And one, so he'd, he'd tell me, hey, I need you to speak for me or teach. And he'd usually give me a long heads up. And I would have to have about six pages worth of material to cover the time period because nobody would talk. And one day Carl said to me, knowing that I used to fly, he said, hey, what about using the Bible as your instrument? And I didn't think much of it. It was kind of odd. It was just, what about, well, I pondered on that for a while. And on Saturday, late Saturday uh, afternoon, his wife called me and said, hey, um, you got to teach tomorrow. Carl has cancer. And I've been pondering on this, using the Bible's instrument for a while. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's, this is not an opportunity for me to talk about flying. It's an opportunity for me to give you two illustrations about flying. But don't focus on the flying part, please. Okay? All right. When I was growing up, my father, <coughs> who spent some time in the Navy, spent 37 years in the Navy, I remember him saying to me, about somebody flying off the carrier and not knowing what was up and what was down and flying into the water and dying. And I thought, how could that happen? How could somebody not know what was up and what was down and die? Have you ever thought about that with people? Have you ever thought of how could this person do that? How can that person risk their job? How can that person risk their marriage? How can that person risk their relationship with somebody else? It's possible. We're all fallen human beings, right? It's more than possible. So let's go look here at the first verse you're going to see. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so I'd hear that plenty of times, and it really wasn't until recently, you know, I'd go, wages of sin is death, I just sinned and I didn't die. Right? Who's thought that before? Still living, sinning, still living. Think about it this perspective. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death of your marriage. Wages of sin is death of your relationship with your family because of your sin. Death of your career, financial ruin because of your sin. Okay? That puts it in a different perspective. All right? So let's go look here at the first parable. And you're going to see a picture of a cockpit here. All right, again, there's two parables that I'm going to use using illustrations. These parables or illustrations are going to be, one is when you have sin. Second illustration is when somebody that you know, a fellow believer, has sin. And what are your responsibilities? This is the the cockpit of F-16. Pretty busy cockpit, but these are the instruments in there, okay? This is F-16. I was fortunate to fly this airplane. It's a great airplane. <clears throat> Let me tell you the story that builds up to this. So, prior to coming here in 94, I used to fly for the Navy down in Key West, was my last duty station. We took an A4, myself and Sparky, Ned Sparky uh, Smith. Sparky, because he was a short guy, spark plug. My call sign is Genghis, because my last name is Khan. You'd never give yourself a call sign. People give yourself a call sign. On a side note, had a uh, Roger K. His, uh, he wanted to be called Spike, but we called him Mary or Nato. He didn't like that. But Sparky and I are flying to Pensacola. And as we're flying to Pensacola, we have to go to Pensacola on the way to Davis-Mothin. And Sparky was a good pilot. I was flying on his wing. We're flying into Pensacola, and we're coming into the approach. We come out of altitude, come down low, about 1,200 feet. We're coming into Pensacola. There's clouds. We're flying in the clouds. And I'm flying probably, his wingtips, probably about three feet closer than that. We're flying in the clouds, and that's not a problem flying that close. But what is a problem is getting vertigo when you're that close to somebody. Vertigo, let's define it. Vertigo is not getting dizzy. Getting dizzy, you're thinking you're spinning, you fall down. Vertigo is, my sensation is, I want to do something else, but my instruments are telling me to do this. Big difference. In your life, do you have that situation where you want to do something else, but God's word is telling you to do this? And it's a struggle. And the point that I will get across here is how much of a struggle vertigo was for me. So we're flying 1,200 feet. As I'm flying, looking at his wing, my eyes catch the raindrops. And I'm flying at his wing, 1,200 feet, and I have a sensation that we're in a 15-degree angle bank. I check inside. We're straight and level. I check my instruments. To be specific, I check the, that little gyro. We're straight and level. It's real subtle. Fly a little bit more. I think we're in a 45-degree angle. So again, I'm 1,200 feet off the ground. Look, I'm thinking I'm looking up at him. 
like this, and we're in this turn. It progressed. Now, I was fighting some things there. I would check inside in reference. The instruments, straight and level. My body's telling me to do something different. It got to the point where I felt like we were this, that we were in a 90-degree angle of bank. That was one of the hardest struggles that I had. I looked inside, we're still straight and level. His, to make it worse, his cockpit starts icing up. So the ice is going from the back to the front, and I'm looking straight up, thinking we're in this turn. The thing that I wanted to do, the easy thing that I wanted to do to satisfy my fleshly desire was to take the stick and turn it this way. Because I had that desire. The hard thing for me to do was keep on flying. Have you ever got that way with sin? Easy thing to do is what the world wants you to do, what your flesh wants you to do, and we'll talk about some scripture here. The hard thing to do, Jesus says, carry your cross, right? It was so hard. If I can convey that to you, it was so hard. That joy would have been fleeting. I would have satisfied that desire by moving the stick. I would have been happy for a couple seconds before I hit the ground, right? I would not have known that I had vertigo if I would not have checked my instruments. You would not know if you have vertigo in life if you're not referencing against the Bible, right? So let's go look at Psalm. And this is that subtle sin. Let's go look at Psalm 1 and 2. There's a great song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. So slow fade is getting that vertigo. Okay? And in there it says, what does it say? Uh, People never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Black and white turns to gray. Right? So Psalm 1 and 2 said, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. Okay, blessed is the man who does this stuff, right? Here's what I like about this. How about the man who does not do it? It's that gradual progression, right? That gradual progression of vertigo that I gradually came on. Look at that. It's not somebody who's first, hey, he's walking with them. He's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Then he's standing. And then he's sitting there, right? And he's not referencing his instruments. He's not referencing the Bible. So in Scripture, that's a great verse for me that you can see. It's that gradual process that happens to all of us. You can be a brand new pilot. You can be the most experienced pilot. You will get vertigo. You can be a brand new Christian. You can be a deacon. You can be a pastor. You will get vertigo. Right? You're kidding yourself if you don't think so. So you've got to do things to protect yourself. All right, 
So let's go look here. Vertigo, as I mentioned, is the, it is when you have a conflict between what your body's telling you to do and what the instruments are telling you to do. For us, sin, there's a difference between telling us what our fleshly body wants to do and what God wants us to do. And we all struggle with it. Let's look at what Paul says. Paul says in Romans 7, 14 through 25. Hey, don't let, in Andrew, the first time he saw him, he said, oh, that's great, you got a beat-up Bible. Don't let this beat-up Bible fool you, okay? This beat-up Bible is from lack of taking care of it. I wish I could say that is from me referencing it every day. I will tell you this. <clears throat> there's a reason why God has, there's a reason why we, everything we do, God's behind it. I used to teach Sunday school. I haven't taught, there's no Sunday school here. I haven't taught it. I've been away from the Bible. Though I'm a deacon, I've been away from the Bible. Hey, I had to be back in and back in deep to do this, which is great. Part of me is going, it would have been nice to kind of enjoy the weekend this past week. But that's not what God wanted. He forced me into the Bible, which is wonderful. So Paul struggles with it. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I, not, I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good. I do know I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is a sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of the body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with my members. Paul struggles with it. We struggle with it, right? This day and age, it's really easy, <clears throat> if you're not following the Bible, to get vertigo. Billy Graham said, "What one?" and I think it's Billy Graham, I searched it, I'm going to give him credit. What one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts. <clears throat> You've probably done this before, and I do this all the time, the relative game. I don't look, unfortunately, I don't compare myself about what the Bible tells me I should be like, righteous and holy. I compare myself to somebody else. And I go, at least I'm not that person. I'm better than that person. I'm a better husband than that person. Right? I'm a better worker than that person. There's two lines. That's what's sin, and way over there, what's holy or righteous. Do you kind of err towards this and try not to cross over there, or do you err towards over there? As I was doing this study, uh, I, Francis Chan, I, I was listening to him. And I didn't say Jackie Chan. I struggled with that. I knew I was going to say it. I said Francis Chan, so I did well, at least in one service. All right, so Francis Chan said this in relationship to what I just talked about. He said, 
how would your friends, what would their view of Christianity if you were the only Christian they knew? Think about that. You're the only Christian they knew, not you relative to somebody else. You're the only Christian they knew. What would they think about friendship if you're the only one that they knew that went to this church? I mean, let that think in, sink in. That was a tough question for me because I've always done the relative gain better than somebody else. That's not what we're called to be, better than somebody else, right? All right, let's go look at the second scenario. All right. So here's the second scenario. Second illustration. First, we talked about you having sin. How do you deal with it? You look at the instrument, reference the instrument, right? And I will tell you a verse that I, I didn't mention that was good in you dealing with sin because most of it comes, starts in the, the mind, right? And Ed Gill told me this, and it stuck with me. It's a great verse. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I will tell you when those thoughts enter my mind, that verse hopefully follows it shortly after that. And that helps me a lot. So let's look at this. What about when a fellow Christian is dealing with sin? This is not calling out a fellow Christian. This is a fellow Christian that's reaching out, okay? The parable or the illustration is about landing aboard the carrier at nighttime. And you probably go, well, you think you could have got a better picture of landing aboard the carrier at nighttime. There is no good picture of landing aboard the carrier at nighttime. It stinks no matter what. Okay, that's what it looks like. That's about three quarters of a mile. On the back of the carrier, there's landing signal officers. Landing signal officers sit there and watch the pilots land. They've got two instruments. One is the God-given horizon. Another is what's called a plat camera, pilot, pilot landing aid uh, TV. Okay, for the most time, you just sit there and you watch other pilots. If you ever saw the... You've probably seen them before. In World War II, they had the, the flags. Now you sit there with a telephone. And you sit on the telephone, and you watch these pilots come in. At three-quarters of a mile, they transition from being guided by the radar to visual sight. <clears throat> and at three-quarters of a mile, you generally hear something like this, 405 Hornet Ball 4.0. 4.5 means the side number. Hornet Ball means it's an F-18. 4.0 means how much gas they have left. And for the most part, the landing signal officer just sits back there and says, Roger Ball, and nothing else. And what he's doing, he's referencing the horizon and looking up and going, hey, he's three-degree glide slope. I'm referencing this instrument. He's right on line. He's coming on line. But the scary part is when you hear the pilot go, 405, Hornet Ball, 4.0, Vertigo. And he's calling out for help. And you know what? He doesn't need to tell you that he has vertigo. You can see that he has vertigo. But he wants help. And the motive and the goal for the LSO is get this guy aboard safely. Okay? Our motive, 
when Christians call out, is to bring them to repentance and restoration, right? Not to call them out. That's our motive. So what you'll generally hear LSO do, landing signal officer will sit there and he'll go, a little high, a little power, right for lineup. He'll help give some guidance. And that guidance is clear, it's firm, and it's worth mercy. The reason why I say it's worth mercy is because at times you'll say, you're high, little power, 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 wave off. And there'll be some red lights that will flash off to the left there, and that pilot needs to wave off. And why it's with mercy I say that is because that pilot's going to come back around again. And the landing signal officer is not going to go, I'm done with you. He'll come back, hey, let's come back and do it again. Let me give you some guidance. And the guidance that I'm going to give you is based on some instruments. It's not based on him going, hey, I think you're a little high. I think Oprah says this is what you're supposed to do. Right? So as Christians... We're called to give clear guidance. The Bible is black and white, right? The world's not. The Bible is black and white. Is the guidance that you're giving, is your objective to bring back restoration? Bible's black and white. You're giving clear guidance. You're giving firm guidance. But Jesus, just like that, he's going to give you mercy and grace. You sin, come back around, right? Does he always give you a way out? There's a verse there. You get a way out, right? Let's go look. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. On the carrier, there is a way out. If you don't come aboard safely with your tail hook, they're going to erect a barrier for you, and you're going to land. God has given you a way out. There is a way out for you if you are referencing the right thing. Correct? So here's the question. What kind of LSO are you? What kind of landing signal officer are you for your friends? Are you the one giving clear, firm guidance based on the Bible? There are LSOs. There's the lead LSO, landing signal officer. Then there's this guy sitting back there. And the guy sitting back there, they may hear 405, Hornet Ball, and we knew who was flying what planes, and they'd hear, oh, 405, that's Khan. And they would do this little shuffle to the side of the deck because there is something that you can jump into if the plane crashed. Literally, it was a shuffle. You'd hear the guy, and I was one of those who would shuffle times because I wasn't the head also, but you'd shuffle. Hopefully, you're not the friend that bells on your friends. You know, the lesson there, the parable is there. You know, make sure that your goal is to bring them restoration. Okay. Make sure that what you're using for your guidance is based on the Bible. All right. Let's look here. 
some applications. All right, <clears throat> so what do we do with this? So the first thing, first lesson, so you don't get vertigo. Hey, if all possible, try to fly when it's day in VFR. VFR stands for visual flight rules. If you can, don't go to where you shouldn't go, right? Don't do it. If you can, by all means, but there's times where we got to fly in the clouds. you got to fly in the night. Okay, you have to do that. But 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Second part. <clears throat> Fly with good, solid pilots. If possible. Here. Right? Pilot's not going to save you. But hopefully the pilot's not going to take you where you shouldn't be. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fool, fools suffers harm. The next one. Hey, this is a team effort. Think about the LSO. Are you an LSO for somebody? Are you a landing signal officer or a life-saving officer for somebody? And what kind are you? We've been called as a church to come together, right? And it's great that we come together. During this time, a lot of us haven't been here, or any churches, for health reasons or for whatever reasons. But if you're not here fellowshipping with others for convenience reasons, because it's easier, then maybe you're missing out on that opportunity to be an LSO for somebody else, or somebody to be an LSO for you. That's my soapbox. All right, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. All right, the next one. This kind of goes with the first part. First one, increase your scan. I don't have a scripture. But when in doubt... When you're concerned, and you know when you're concerned, you know when you're susceptible to sin, <clears throat> increase your scan. When we got in clouds, we'd start looking at instruments more. You start worrying, you know what's coming, the onset of vertigo's coming on in your life. Pray more. Study the Bible more. Come in fellowship more. Okay? We're called to do that. The fifth one. Trust your instruments. Okay? Trust the Bible. Right? Unlike an airplane, sometimes those instruments fail. And in most airplanes, there's the main gyro and there's a backup gyro. Okay? There's the main Bible and there's the only Bible. There is not a backup Bible, nor does there need to be a backup Bible, right? We got everything we need. Proverbs, 30, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. No vertigo, okay? If you trust in him. 
All right, let's pull back up the slide with the, the cockpit. All right, so you're probably going, hey, there's a lot of instruments there. Which ones do I trust? Or, well, which ones do I reference? Well, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Okay? And I'll give you an example. And trust me when I say this. If Andrew was preaching and you said, go to John 3.16, I would look at where everybody else was, and I go, oh, they're turning to the right. And I turn to the right. I don't have this memorized here. Years ago, my father called us up and he said, hey, we have family meeting today. And I said, Dad, we don't have family meetings. He said, well, today we do. <clears throat> so, went to the house, went a little bit early. I thought, are they getting divorced? Somebody else getting divorced? I walk in the house. <clears throat> and my father said, these are his words. Son, I have cancer. You're the executor. Look, your mom's not going to live here anymore. Look around the house and see what you want. I knew what he meant by not, you know, once he passed away, she wasn't going to live there anymore. So I came home. And I thought, you know, I have no idea where to go. I teach Sunday school. I have no idea where to go. <clears throat> and I grabbed my Bible. And it had a pen in it just like this. And the pen flipped out. And all I did was I literally did this. And right there was 2 Corinthians and that's where Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, that's where Paul talks about, hey, I'm being worn down like a tent. And I groan for the heavenly dwelling place. Okay? If I'm here with my body, I'm not with Jesus. And I go, wow, that's reality. We're all going to die. My father's going to die. I'm going to die. We're not meant to be here. But I said, wonder where the pen was. I mean, that, that's, that wasn't me searching and seeing what would fit. And I thought, I wonder where the pen was. And I literally did this. And it came to John eleven thirty eight. And if you go look at John, <clears throat> the bullet point says, in that chapter, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So two flips of the Bible... Not me looking in the back, not me Google searching. One showed us the reality of we're all going to die. One showed us also the reality of Jesus is a miracle worker. And if it is his goal and fitting to save my father, great. So if you don't know where to go, you say that's too busy of a cockpit, let the Holy Spirit guide you and listen to him. All right, so the, the last lesson here is Really, just remember as Christians, just like a pilot, we're all susceptible to vertigo. Do not kid yourself. And take the appropriate steps so that you don't get it. Okay? At this point, I'd usually go questions, comments, smart remarks, but I don't think you do this. So let's, let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for giving us this freedom and this opportunity. 
for us to gather today in person and online. Thank you for providing your instructions through the Holy Spirit in the Bible to lead and guide us in our everyday life. Help us set our path straight by focusing on your divine word and not the world. Let us be a wise counsel for fellow believers in time of need. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.